0: Hey, tennis fans, you are listening to Matchpoint Canada, the official podcast of Tennis Canada. And we are here for our final episode of 2020. And uh, what a wild year it's obviously been. And here to help wrap things up with us, Canadian star and the recent winner of the ATP Comeback Player of the Year Award, Vashik Pospisal.
1: Bashuk, we're uh, thrilled to welcome you back to the podcast once again and, and talk about the remarkable season you've had, not just your encore accomplishments, but also your continued commitment to uh, making the HB Tour a more inclusive place for all its members. And, uh, and somehow you even found time to start your own business in this past year or so thanks for joining yeah. us. We look forward to asking you a few questions about all those things today. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm uh,
0: glad to join you guys. Thanks for having me again on the show yeah we uh yeah. we appreciate it and uh I guess I want to start with uh the this end of year award uh, being named the comeback player of the year I mean you began this season ranked uh about hundred and fiftieth in the world you you wrap up sixty first overall um yeah just firstly, what does this honor mean to you uh having a, a year like this getting recognized
2: yeah it's great i mean it's um you know, winning, winning this award, it's kind of like icing on the cake, you know, and, uh, having a great season and then finishing it off uh, with, with, you know, my fellow peers kind of, um, you know, acknowledging the, the, the hard work and, and my, you know, uh, I guess good, good performances on court is it's super special and it's, it's uh, it's nice, you know, so it's a, it's a feel good award. And, and yeah, I mean, it, it kind of just uh, I'll be honest, like when I, when I came back from um you know that that surgery when I recovered and I stepped back onto the court I I yeah I did not expect uh, to be playing this this well and then I did not know how my body would be holding up and the fact that I've been pretty much pain-free injury-free since since I returned uh, hasn't happened for for years I mean the last time was you know 2013 2014 I, I suffered that the back injury 2014 and since then it's kind of been you know give and go until until the surgery and uh so now i'm playing better than ever so i'm, I'm pretty happy with how things are going
1: where does that trophy go Vashik? is it next to the wimbledon doubles uh trophy or or what
2: <laughs> yeah well no my parents have the wimbledon doubles trophy in their house and uh yeah so I, but i have but i have it here so i got it yeah it's, it's it's it means a lot it means a lot to me even though it's you know it's not a it's not a uh tournament trophy but but it still really means a lot because i put so much you know it was a tough it was a tough recovery i mean I, I didn't hold a racket for five months i just didn't even hold one in my hand for five months and then um you know eight months off tour and and uh so many question marks doubts come in you know how's the body going to feel am i going to be able to ever play at the high level again and then to have a, a great season um you know the way the way that i did it's uh, super special so it means a lot to me for sure
0: yeah, I think uh, when, when I look back at uh, your results, kind of since you returned from that injury in 2019, we saw you obviously have a great summer and then a, a great fall alongside Team Canada. But this season, of course, was was different for every professional. I mean, uh, it must be so challenging managing things when your job essentially stops for six and a half months. Just, uh, I, I guess, what were some of the toughest challenges for you uh, this year in 2020? And maybe maybe what are you most proud of? Um yeah
2: it was I mean it was challenging year for 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 everyone definitely. Um I think you know I I I kind of made a a decision which was interesting but uh you know I'm, a lot of players had gone about things differently than I did but but when when the lockdown first uh came into place and and I didn't really even when I you know when when I was out and about and free and and uh, I didn't really train that much. You know, I, I took, I just decided to to just take more time off. You know, I, I, I was trying to stay in shape. So I wasn't, you know, I didn't blow up in terms of gaining a bunch of weight or like I did when I had the surgery, I gained 24 pounds, but that was like a conscious decision. I was like, okay, like I've, I've never been able to eat and do whatever I wanted. So I'm just going to like gain weight for let sure. Let I'm gonna yourself gain go. Weight. Yeah, I let myself go. And <laughs> I wanted to like live my life a little bit. Like have a cinnamon bun. Right. And whatever. So that didn't, that didn't happen this time. Uh, I, I stayed on, like, I stayed relatively lean and I was eating well, but I wasn't training that much. Just a couple times a week, uh, you know, two, three times a week, basically for an hour, hour and a half. And I did, you know, did my core work, did my back stuff, but I really just wanted to, to have another mental break. So, um, it was a different, uh, yeah. I know a lot of players were just training like a lot. And I, I, was, you know, and I had time to work on my business and, 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 and just, uh, do a lot of things that I don't get to do when I'm, um, you know, touring, touring the, touring the world playing tennis. So I forgot what your question was, but I, <laughs> I
0: really got into it. Yeah. But, no, um, what, no, maybe, maybe what you were most proud of given. Right. Anything, yeah.
2: Yeah. So, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I was I was proud that, you know, obviously, I went through my training period there, like before the US Open, I went into a full training block, right? So I obviously did my training, I wouldn't have been able to play at the level that I did, if I hadn't, but, but I guess I was just, uh, just proud of like how consistent I was, I mean, from the beginning of the year, all the way to the end. Um, and I think that just, you know, the results that I had, I guess, just reflected my um uh, the way I go, you know, my, my mentality and, and I'm, I was, you know, not burning out mentally and I'm I'm not like overly stressed these days about, about my results on court. Like, obviously I'm very, I'm still very motivated and I'm working really hard, which is why I'm playing well. Right. And I want to, every time I step on the court, I want to win, which is the most important thing obviously. Um, but I'm not, I'm not being too hard on myself. Um, which, which has, you know, been, been great because, um, you know, I'm I'm kind of less stressed on the court when I'm playing, and when the moments get tough, and um, so I think that's that's you know probably one of the reasons why I've I've been playing pretty consistent. Obviously, the sport's up and down, so who knows how next year will be, or you know, but but uh, for sure, for sure, this has been the last 12 months has been great.
1: The important message I took from that answer was I can gain 24 pounds and still somehow reach my peak physical condition. <laughs> that's right.
2: Yeah, and maybe it's even better for you because you'll just mentally you know relax and right well it's funny
1: it's funny because you know it it did seem this past year like you are in the best physical condition that we've seen in your career and and that's saying a lot because you have had so much success and then you mentioned at the start of the interview that you have been dealing with injuries since 2014 which is really a long time when you think about it um so what's the secret right now is it is it really being able to play more freely since the surgery does uh does Frank, the tanks coaching really take you to another level? Is it the Hakati mushrooms? What, uh, what is it that's got you playing arguably the best tennis we've ever seen from you?
2: Yeah, I you know this is, um, this is one of those questions. Obviously I've been asked, you know, uh, quite a lot recently because I've, I've, because I am playing, you know, some of the best tennis in my career. And it's not, it's, there's not a, it's not a simple, simple answer because there's so many to, to, to be playing at like your best or, you know, uh have a one of your better years of your career a lot of things have to go right it's not just like one thing right so for me um you touched up on obviously frank is it was was a great addition i think with frank we 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 really kind of got back to um working on my strengths and 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 how i you know win matches and 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 you know how when i was playing my best what what you know firing you know serving but working on my serve forehand um so he has a great eye. And, and what I like about Frank is we have really good dialogue, open dialogue. So, um, you know, I, I, I'm, I like, I feel like, you know, in, in the past when, when you work with, you know, some, some, every coach has a different approach and, and some are a little bit more ha- like, I wouldn't say smothering or aggressive, but, but they, they, it's like, okay, it's not, not even that it's their way or the highway, but it's like, okay, they have their view. and And obviously I have very strong opinions about how I view the game. And I feel like I, I have a very good sense of, of what's, what's going on. Um, and I know myself really well. And with Frank, we have, I think a little bit like this perfect balance of back and forth where he has the outside perspective and, and then he'll see things, um, that are, you know, and then we'll discuss them openly and, and it's a really good, so it's, it's been, it's been amazing working with Frank. I think, um, I would say one of the, the biggest, uh, uh, actually before I say what I think is the biggest one another really important addition for me was is uh, or change was that I started working with my old fitness trainer that I worked with back when I when I felt like I was moving the best on the tennis court um, and the fittest uh, I'm, I'm, I'm back with him so that that's an, that's another thing and I feel like uh, again that I'm just moving extremely well uh, compared to maybe the last you know few years in the tour but some of that also has to do with having you know being injured and coming going off and on and and it's not easy to get into the rhythm and, and kind of build that base that you need to, to keep performing well. So that's another thing. And then finally, I think the biggest, biggest change was uh, just my time off from, from surgery. Um, what it kind of showed me, uh, you know, what like my life after tennis would look like. And it gave me so much confidence as a person like or like it in myself like you know and I always felt like okay like after tennis you know yeah I'll be successful and whatever I do that's kind of like my my approach but I never really experienced it I didn't ever really so I always put so much pressure on myself and I'm playing tournaments and because you know you feel like well your whole identity is is a tennis player like if you lose a match you're just like you your self-worth and your eyes kind of goes down right and then when you win you feel incredible and and uh so that really changed when I when I uh, spent, you know, five months having a social life, which I never had and really, right. And then, and then working on business and, and just getting, you know, and, and I just felt like when I came back on the tour, I was just a much more complete, mature uh, adult. And um, I, I put a lot less pressure on myself. I was kind of like, you know what? Yeah, I'll go out there, and do the best that I can. And, and, you know, and uh, so I, I feel like that really helped me probably the most out of out of all those things. Um, you know, but I wouldn't obviously be able to play if I didn't have the right coaching and if I didn't have the, the physical part and physio that was traveling with me all year. Right. So that needs to be in place, but at least mentally. So I feel like it's all these things, like they all play their role and it's not just one. And if you're missing one of those, then it, the result is not what it was, right. What it, what it was these last 12 months. So the fact that I had, you know, great physios with me the whole year, all the time, um, or since I came back from surgery, I should say, uh, you know, great coaching, um, uh, fitness, fitness, and then having a good like level head and being older and mature, knowing myself better, all those things uh, kind of all at once.
1: Are those things that you're going to be able to carry on with, given the pandemic continuing into 2021? I mean, can Frank go with you to the tournaments? Can you bring the physio with you as well? What are are the challenges as we're still in this covid world that uh, that make it harder to you know manage all those things that allowed you to have such a great um, you know last uh, last season yeah
2: the biggest good question yeah the biggest uh you know the the biggest challenge that i've been facing so far with covid to kind of keep the momentum has been from the physio from the physio side physiotherapy because um obviously now we've we've you know we've been right in the thick of the pandemic and I've still had great results. Right. So I've, I've still been playing really well and I've had Frank with me every week or most weeks. So I've had the coach and at fitness, I, I can do, you know, with distance, my fitness channel will send me the plan and I'll do it when the time is right and I'll maintain. And uh, you know, I just had a fitness block with them now, but the physios that I, that I was working with that, well, I currently still, still am technically, but they haven't been with me the last six months since, since COVID uh, since the return of, of tennis because, because of the quarantine and, and they can't, you know, they also have practices, the practice in, in, in Vancouver. So, um, they can't travel with me because if they go back home every time they have to quarantine for two weeks. So that's been the biggest challenge for me. And I've, I've felt so far, I felt a little bit of a negative impact uh, on my body because, um, I've, I've just, you know, just uh, haven't been feeling as good and loose even because you try to get as much treatment as you can at these tournaments, but then now they have these rules where it's like, okay, you can only get 25 minutes of treatment and, you know, the COVID rules and, and, you know, sometimes the physio won't be that great uh, or you'll be, you know, so, so you don't, you just don't get the amount of treatment that you should and that you need when you're competing at such a intense high level. So I think that is the area that actually we, we, I was discussing with, with Frank, um, that we're trying to figure out because, you know, that is one of the most important things for me for sure to, to kind of maintain this level. Um, So that's the biggest challenge is the, is the, is the physio.
0: You are listening to Matchpoint Canada, our guest this week, for our final episode of 2020 is Canadian tennis player Vasek Pospisil. And uh, you're kind of pointing out everything coming together so well uh, to have like this great level of tennis that that you have produced. And I'm just just looking back on your 2020 season, I feel like there's so many highlights to, to point out. Uh, a big win over Dino Medvedev, you know, finals in Montpellier, uh, your U.S. Open run to the round of 16, and then uh, finishing on such a high note, reaching the finals in Sofia as well. Um, for you, was there was there any tournament or, or match that maybe stands out for you on the year as, as like the ultimate highlight, or or is it kind of all around? Um, well, it's all around, but there are some highlights. I mean, I'm, I'm going to have to
2: include last year, 2019, in this as, as a part of my comeback season. Um, you know, and, and part of this, you know, let's say, um, with, well, with Davis Cup, right? Last year, I think that was kind of the first you know um, I had great results leading up to, to Davis cup for sure. And, but I feel like that was the, the the event where I just felt like, okay, like I'm back, like I'm a force to be reckoned with. And that was like a highlight also just to, to make history for, you know, tennis and tennis our sport in Canada. It's the first time we made the finals of Davis cup. So that was a really special uh, week, week there. Um, so that was a highlight. Uh, and then U S open, of course, as well. Um think u.s open more so i mean obviously i had a couple of great wins there um you know over Milos and, and uh, bautista Agut uh, in five sets which is not easy because he's one of the fittest guys on tour so that was i think what was the the best thing about the u.s open for me and why that was um, meant you know quite a lot it wasn't so much that i i made the fourth round for the first time in my career at the u.s open which is great right but but for me was i i I really struggled there physically um, most years that I played. I mean, most years that I played the U S open, I just, I, I would break down physically um, with the humidity, with, with whatever. I always had some kind of issue there. And I started to think like, I'm like, Oh my gosh, like, can I even like, you know, can I even like make it through physically this, you know, this event and Wimbledon is a little bit easier because it's sometimes the weather's, you know, not bad. And, and so that was, that was great for me. I mean, I think, I think that just kind of gave me again, a lot of confidence now going forward is like, okay, like, you know, my body's actually really improving and it's getting to the next level. Maybe the level that I needed it to go to, to, to be able to reach the next level in the rankings. Right. So uh, that was for me. Yeah. U S open was, was a great, uh, was a great one, um, you know, and, and, and um, the Davis cup. So those two, I would say.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you, you mentioned Davis Cup because I, I did want to ask about Team Canada. I mean, making that finals run uh, a year ago with Team Canada and you did it alongside Denis Shapovalov and, and Felix and to think that uh, our nation in Canada could have gone to a final and we actually didn't have Milos Ranic who is playing great as well and back inside the top 15. And, you know, of course, Felix and Denis are still strong in the rankings and you've had such a resurgence. Um, how do you feel about Canada as a a tennis nation right now? And um, just our prospects going into these team type events, uh, you know, considering ATP cup as well is coming up in February.
2: Yeah, well uh, tennis in Canada right now is obviously booming. It's, uh, it's kind of the the golden era of, of, of of tennis uh, in our country, for sure. I think, um, I mean, we have such incredible young talents right now, Dennis and Felix, Bianca, Layla, uh fernandez and 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 uh yeah we have a lot to to really look forward to it it's interesting it's kind of like this is another question i you know get sometimes is you know why is this happening or how you know they and, and people will will, will, will kind of get used to this or feel like we always need to have that there's gonna be more and more players but you know it's 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 definitely a special a special group of players that we have right now we have a lot a lot of guys and girls at the top of the game which uh, for our country is, is obviously unprecedented. It's, you know, we've never had it. And, and even, even going forward, it's, it's not something that's, uh, you know, guaranteed that we'll have, you know, these kinds of players, obviously now with Dennis and Felix and Bianca, like, you know, at least for the foreseeable future there, hopefully we'll, we'll have players in the top. But, but uh, I mean, a lot of it comes down to, I guess, just that, you know, success breeds success, where, where, you know, if you have players from your country that that are doing well, then obviously that, you know, brings a lot more interest to the sport. But not only that, but it also gives kind of the confidence to these to these young players and juniors that that do want to be pro and do want, you know, are ambitious and want to do well that they can say, hey, like suddenly their their sights are set higher, right? So in their mind, they're no longer saying, like, Oh my God, like, it would be great to be a pro. I would love to make it to the top hundred. Well, at some point now it's like, Oh my God, like I would love to be top 10 or, you know, and just that like that changing that mentality, like that is what pushes you to that next level. And a good example of that actually I'll say is, is actually Milos. I got to give credit to Milos there because he, he was the first one that kind of broke, broke that barrier. And he went into the top. Th- I remember when he went into the top 30 and I always grew up with Milos and we were, you know, uh kind of the the same I mean I was winning beating him in juniors but whatever he we were you know uh rivals and so when he made top 30 and I was ranked I think I was ranked like 130 or something and and uh I remember thinking like damn like you know And in my mind at that time I was like oh yeah like I you know want to get like you know top 100 and suddenly I saw him in the top 30 and I was like like okay well I can do that too you know and and so it's tough to break that barrier. And, and, but once you, once you do it, it kind of brings a lot of people up with you because they're looking further and they're more um, you know, so um, yeah, veered off track from your question again, but, but uh, I think, yeah, what I'm trying to say is that, is that, you know, we, we have a lot of these, you know, these uh, young guys now, like Felix and Dennis, hopefully they'll, they'll, you know, again, like bring the sport even higher to another level. And if they can win in grand slam and, um, but a lot of it also is 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 I wouldn't say coincidence, but it's also time.
1: It's funny talking about Milosh when we last spoke to him, which was in the summertime. He uh, he was talking about your thirtieth birthday and how happy he was that you were hitting that mark before before he was. So uh, you'll have to send him something as he's turning thirty finally and catching up with you, I guess, this week. And uh, yeah. I'm just kind of wondering, I mean, when you guys were young bucks on the tour, you probably razzed, you know, Danny Nestor for being the uh, the old man on the Canadian crew. And, and now it looks like you and Milos are kind of the, the veteran players. Yeah. Do, you, do you get a fair bit of ribbing from the younger guys about uh, hitting that 30, 30 mark?
2: Not yet. No, not yet. I think it's because I still have a baby face. So I think I'm still... <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm... I think most people think I'm 25, so I think once they realize how, you know, old I, I'm, I'm getting, once I'm like 33, 34, I think that's probably when they'll realize, like, wow, this guy's like 34 years old, and maybe then, but I'm still looking pretty young, so I think I got, I have a, you know, have a, a little bit of an edge there, but, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm becoming the, you know, slowly, slowly, but surely, I mean, I still have, I think, uh, you know, my best years ahead, I, I, I think, I, I like to think that, and that's the only reason why, uh I'm still I'm still really working hard and, and 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 playing. I mean I still love tennis of course, but but um I'm also, you know, hoping I have great years ahead of me, but I'm soon yeah, I'll soon be the the veteran. So I think uh I think once I start being called the veteran, then, you know, by or by the, or the old guy, then then I'll start to
1: be like, you know, maybe rethinking things a little bit. 30s 30s are the new 20s, you got a good tennis. Yeah, year. yeah,
2: they are in tennis, they are. I mean, for sure, I think right now you seeing all these guys are playing the best tennis of their careers in their in their early 30s, and that, that never used to be the case. And I think why that is is just because right now, like with everything with with uh, the physiotherapy and and uh, you know technology, just everything that we know about about the body and 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 this you know uh, medicine and and healing injuries and preventing injuries, and it's just prolonging the the, the career of players so that when they hit their physical peak you know, I think the physical peak of, of a male is, you know, late twenties or something, right. They're, they're actually able to 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 still perform and use all the experience that they have uh, uh, throughout all the years that they've gained. And then their body is still, still intact. And they're actually able to, to, to perform. I think that's probably, you know, the reason why we're seeing so many guys play well in their early thirties now. Whereas in previous years, you know, you reach, you reach the age of 30 and, and your hips are all messed up and you have, you know, uh, back issues or knee issues or whatever it is, because, um, you
1: know, we just didn't have the knowledge that we have now and how
2: to, how to best take care of our bodies to, to have, you know, longevity in our, in our careers.
1: On, on a serious note, I want to ask about sort of maturity, as you mentioned it, and, and you've certainly come into your own, it feels like over the last two years and really found your voice, um, you know, definitely in terms of advocating for, for the players on tour. Recently, you you mentioned um, that you're not going to be accepting that nomination for ATP player council as the ATP sees that as a potential conflict of interest with the PTPA player union that's being formed. Um, It kind of surprises me. So can you kind of elaborate on that? Because uh, is there a conflict of interest there? To me, I would almost see the two going hand in hand and being a natural fit almost.
2: Well, I'll answer that question. Well, you know, basically I would say this, I would say, yeah, well, the reason why why myself and Novak withdrew our names is because, you know, they had to be passed this new rule essentially stating that we, you know, anybody uh, that's joined the PTPA, can, you know, cannot be on the council. So, um, and of course you could look at it, you could argue it both ways. Or so you could say, yeah, there's conflict. You could say no, because at the end of the day, we're, you know, we're just trying to represent the players and it's the same you know, you can argue that. But what I'll definitely say is, uh, if you do want if you do want to go the route of saying, yeah, that's a conflict of interest, okay, fine. But, but the conflicts of interest on the other side are, you know, are times 100 in terms, you know, and, and, and so it's a little bit hypocritical. And it's a bit of a double standard, because, you know, you have um, crazy conflicts of interest on on the you know, the ATP management level and the tournament represent, like the board on the board, like everywhere. Um, And that's fine. They don't have a problem with that because it's, it's goes to their benefit. And and they, you know, they're the ones calling the shots, but as soon as the players are are kind of, you know, threatening their, the monopoly that they have on our sport in, you know, not even threatening it, just like, you know, uh, proposing something that potentially they could see as a threat to their dominance of, of the structure they shut it down and in, in, in like as quickly as they can and, and they don't want to have that influence where we're suddenly there's players that are on the council trying to, you know, so it's, it's unfortunate, but it's, it's not surprising. Like I, I, I saw it, I saw it coming a mile away because this is just something that, that uh, it's very difficult for um, it's very difficult for, for the average fan um, to, to understand like, the complexities of, of, of our tour and the structure and the way the bylaws are written and, and what, what essentially equates to, um, with like how little influence or power or say or voice that the players have, like it's, it's it, you know, and if you, if I sit down with anybody and explain it to them for 10 minutes or 15 minutes, like they're like, oh my gosh, like that is crazy. Right. But, but on the outside, and especially when you have you know, the, this, this power, this, the media and every, and all this power that, that, you know, let's say the Grand Slams and the ATP bring with them, it's very easy to paint, um, you know, uh, the PTPA or us in a negative way because that's, that's all that anybody is hearing. So right now we're, we're, we're at this really early phase and we're dealing with, with a lot of, I would say, unjust, um, you know, accusations from, from the other side. But in reality, it's, it's, it's a huge, yeah. And it's, 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 it's been tough. Like, especially early on, it was tough. You have to get very thick skin. You know, I think my, I think my, my, my whole body's a callus right now. It's just, except for the exactly, baby face, except for the baby face, but, uh, but you know what? It's, it's just something that is really important to me because I feel like it's the right thing to do. And I, And I'm, I'm a man of, I'm like, I, you know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong. People can disagree for sure. But what I definitely am is, is a man of principle. And, um, and if, if I get, you know, fired up about something or if I, you know, set my mind to something, it takes a lot to, to kind of, uh, stop me and, you know, and and if it's something that I really, really believe in and I'm passionate about, which I am currently, um, then, uh you know, I'm, I'm just going to keep going. And, and, uh, for those listening right now that, you know, I didn't really allude to what it is exactly that we're fighting for, but, but what it is, is, is just for the players to have, to have a voice, right. And to be able to, at least in some way, uh, impact our lives and livelihoods because it, right now we have no, no way to do that. Um, and, uh, and just to have, to be, to have transparency from our, from, you know, from, um, from our tour and and being able to just have open conversations, be able to get information from the other side, we're just totally in the dark, and uh, it's just a tough tough situation. And uh, I don't, there's no sport out there like tennis right now, at least major sport, where the the
1: players are in the dark the way the way we are. Not not to go down this rabbit hole too deep because um, I could see how that could certainly happen. Um, we'll save some for next time, but just maybe in a, in a short, you know, quick minute, could you explain what would be the the goal for you in 2021 in terms of the PTPA's growth and development that you would say, you know, at the end of next year, Hey, it was a success this year. We, we achieved what we kind of set out to, to achieve.
2: Well, I would say this, I think we have one shot, uh, you know, at successfully launching the PTPA. <clears throat> it's, it's uh, you know, we have to bring, cause I know, I, I mean, Obviously, we wouldn't be going down this route if if we didn't know that the players support this. You know, this whole concept of what we're trying to to achieve. Uh, so, so I think why I say we have one shot is because we have to we have to give bring confidence to to, to all the players that this is something that's very well thought out, very well organized. Uh, that we have you know a great team behind us that have a track record of being successful and, you know, whatever it is they do in their role within the PTPA. So right now it's, it's kind of like, you're, you're building out the team. Uh, you're building out the team, the, the, the strategy, like the, the, of like what it is exactly that we're trying to accomplish, which we, we do know, obviously like we, we, you know, and, but, but just having everything really well explained, very well written out. Um, and, and uh, so I would say, yeah, in one year, if, if we have a, a good team behind us um then i think that would be that would be a success and i think at that point we would get tremendous player support i think that would be uh ultimately i think that would that would be the beginning of a, of a very successful uh player association that that um will hopefully you know go for go on for years
0: we, uh, we really hope we can see that. Um, just, just final question uh, for fans who are eager to see you in, in 2021. I, I mean, we now have clarity on an ATP schedule uh, for next season, which is great uh, with tournaments at Delray beach and open, and then uh, the ATP cup starting in February in front of the Australian open. Uh, do you have a schedule kind of plan for, for the start of the season? And when should we expect to see you?
2: Yeah, so I'm starting in Delray actually. So on the sixth of uh, January, um, yeah, I just did a, a three-week training camp uh, in in Serbia with Frank was there and some of the, the, the you know at Novak's academy. So I've done a lot of training now, but now I'm I'm I'm, I'm uh, doing two or three weeks without Frank. So I'm going uh, to play Delray, just kind of you know get get back into the groove of of playing matches in a tournament, obviously. And it's, it's right around the corner from where I am right now. So, so it makes sense to play that. And then from there, head to Australia, do the two-week quarantine, which won't be fun, but, uh, you know, it's got to be done. And um, try to make the most out of my five, five hours a day outside of the room. And, uh, and uh, then, uh, yeah, straight into the, the Australian swing. So uh, I believe there will be a, a 250 event there before the, the Aussie Open. ATP Cup, not sure yet uh, whether I'll play that. And then
0: Australian Open. Awesome. Well, uh, Vasik, thanks uh, so much for joining us on our on our final episode of the year. Uh, congrats uh, on your comeback Player of the Year award, and uh, happy holidays as well to uh, you and your family. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. And I'm glad I
2: was uh, the last guest of the year and close out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully well. it's foreshadowing for a better, you know, a better 2021. Hopefully, uh...
1: we're closing on a high <laughs> note with you for sure, and uh, we'll chat with you again in the new year. Appreciate you guys. Thank you. Thanks. Take care. Ciao. Yeah. And there you have it, our interview with Canadian tennis
0: player Vashrik Pospisil, who, of course, was ATP comeback player of the year. And, uh, Mike, I was kind of interested just listening back on his perspective of why he's playing such great tennis, like sort of mentally almost a reset, that break for him. Looking at some of the other athletes, how they handled like a six-month Covid hiatus. We saw, you know, Dominic Team playing so many exhibition matches. We saw other players doing intensive training blocks, and it was interesting for to hear, at least for me, that that Bashik actually took so much time off, where he was only, you know, stepping on the court once, twice a week for just an hour.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess if you find yourself in that situation, you realize this is hopefully one of those things that you'll ever, ever only have to go through once uh, in in your career, and so. From from that standpoint, it sounds like he took the right perspective, which is, you know, okay, I'm going to enjoy this. Uh, you know, I'm going to eat the Cinnabons and, and things like that. And boy, it sounds like his little cheats are things I do every day. So I got to put my own sort of life in perspective, I feel like, to start 2021. But uh, yeah, he had the right approach to it. And I felt like, you know, when he said he didn't expect to have this nearly this kind of success in the comeback, I felt a lot better when I felt like it was such a surprise as well to see him playing such great tennis because, yeah, even Vashik didn't expect that he would come back and, and and be this, you know, as he said, forced to be reckoned with at times, right?
0: Yeah, and he, he really outlined, actually, I, I was glad he said this sort of when I had him look back on his 2020 season, he actually started in the fall of 2019 because if you look at his trajectory, not just in the rankings, but in the level of tennis he was playing, it did really all start. Uh, for him kind of late summer 2019 into that fall swing of tennis where he had a a great stretch of tournaments and then of course was uh, just incredible for Canada and Davis Cup alongside Denis Shapovalov so it's clear like that was a huge momentum boost for him uh, going into the 2020 season and you look obviously at the rankings we talked about it but 150 to 61 in a full calendar year like we would be raving about that Uh, and we're talking about it uh, in a tennis calendar where we missed over half of the season.
1: Yeah, the fact he was able to do it in such a short schedule is super impressive. And it just seemed to me like at, at every point, you know, he was playing really great tennis, that he was routinely, uh, or, or with some sort of regularity, I should say, knocking off some pretty big names uh, on, on the tour and uh, didn't have any draws that did him any favors. And hopefully as he continues this this rise, Um, you know, we're going to get to the point where, yeah, Hey, maybe we could talk about him being seated at a slam again, which hasn't happened in ages, you know, being a top 32 seed at a slam, which is at this point, I don't think too far fetched to at least put that out there as a, as a possibility for Vashik if, uh, if things continue the way that they have since his return from that injury.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We've, we've seen him there before uh, getting to a career high of number 25. Of course we're talking, you know, six, seven years ago. And of course a Wimbledon quarterfinals run, but I dare say, I, I really feel like he's playing even better now uh, than back in that time frame when he he did make a quarterfinal of of Wimbledon. But I, I feel like the field on the men's side is just so so deep. There are no easy wins whatsoever, and uh, really finished the season on a high note too, making the finals in Sofia, a, a great final tournament for him as well. And he's already uh, confirmed for us that he'll be ready to go at the front end of 2021, playing in Delray Beach.
1: For for me, the, the the marker to gauge um, you know, sort of where he's at in his career and how great he's playing is uh even when he was playing so well back in 2013, 2014, if I were a player on the tour at that point compared to being a player on the tour right now, like an opponent of his, I would be way more wary and and you know, conscious of him in the draw now than I think I would have been back in 2013. I feel like now he's a player that anybody, even a top ten guy, would see in the draw and say, oh crap, not someone I want to face right now.
0: Yeah, certainly. And, uh, the U S open, which he kind of pointed to the ultimate highlight. I think all of that tournament for him reaching the round of 16, but, uh, you look at who he beat in that, in that tournament, uh, not just Milos Raonic, who was playing awesome tennis leading into the U S open, making the finals of the Cincy open just the previous week. But then Roberto Bautista Goot like digs in deep and wins a big five set match to get to the round of 16. Like obviously, uh, one of the tough customers of the ATP tour and, uh, Makes me think he has high hopes for 2021. And I recall when we last spoke with him uh, at the end of his U.S. Open run of the round of 16, I asked him about his ranking and he said, I don't care, I'm over it. But uh, I feel like that's the perspective that is working in his favor with his ranking. So I don't know, where, where do you ballpark maybe a Vashik Pospisil in the ATP rankings, uh, say come the end of 2021?
1: Yeah, I mean, top 50 seems like a, a you know, almost foolish to suggest as, as a minimum, I feel like that's almost a, a foregone conclusion. But uh, it's funny, you know, you, you don't want to put too much expectation there. Because even he alluded to in our interview, that physically, he's not feeling as, you know, put together right now, and that his trainer isn't going to be traveling with him. And so, you know, he also mentioned that so many things were going right between the coaching and the physio and the trainer and everything sort of clicking for him. So, it's tough to say, but I would, I would think, you know, top 50 and, and still there's going to be a lot of tournaments that are going to be bonus tournaments in terms of point potential for him. Um, so I, I think realistically, perhaps around 40 in the world uh, would, be, would be sort of a benchmark that I could see him uh, achieving this season. And it's amazing to me also just the, the number of things that he's juggling in life right now between launching his own business uh, within the last six months uh, and, and being such an advocate with the PTPA, which as he's mentioned, you know, this year we've got to, we've got to do it is what he's saying. Um, notice on Instagram, he's, he's got a relationship as well that he's uh, involved in. So this guy's got a lot on the go and uh, certainly seems like the type of person who's thriving the more on your plate, uh, you know, the, the, the happier and, and more, uh, competent he seems to be in all those domains. So, you know, kudos to Vashik for not just being a one dimensional person. This guy's got, you know, many facets uh, to him for sure.
0: Yeah, and he said uh, it was nice, I think, um, coming out of not just the surgery that, of course, he had uh, leading into 2019, but then uh, stepping out of the tour for six months and and going on this hiatus, realizing uh, he has a lot more self-worth than just a tennis player, I think, was was huge huge for him. And that's obviously highlighted in all these endeavors that he's engaged in, in, including the PTPA, which, of course, uh, he uh, went into a bit of detail. I'm sure if we you know, stripped to the bare bones, there will be a lot of detail in terms of conflicts of interest am- amongst tour management and uh, what goes on behind the scenes. But uh, this is a fight clearly that uh, Bashik will continue to fight for. And uh, I'm glad to see that he's part of that.
1: Yeah. It's going to be one of those things to watch in 2021 to see how far along they can actually take this. And uh, speaking of 2021, we're, uh, we're just a few days away now from the new year um, and um, it's funny because normally, you know, you'd have a different feeling, I feel like, at the start of a, a new year. And in many ways, this almost feels like a continuation of 2020 because COVID is still such a, a very real thing out there. And even with the vaccine starting to emerge and, and and you know, get out there, I've got healthcare friends who have already had the vaccine. Um, hopefully, we're going to see it for, you know, the elderly and, and it'll trickle down throughout the, the next, you know, few months. But we're still in a real era of uncertainty in terms of, you know, how many tournaments are going to get squeezed in and, and and what's going to happen when there's a COVID positive result amongst a, a player or a an entourage or whatever the case may be. So, um, you know, things are starting up and fingers crossed that we can get in as much tennis action as possible. But it's not like we're flipping the switch yet on, uh, on what we've been dealing with throughout this pandemic, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, no doubt. Uh, it's obviously nice that we do have an ATP and a WTA calendar, at least for the first block of the season, for the first couple of months, that being established, it's great. But uh, as you and I both know, that is no guarantee of those events happening. We, we saw some other tournaments stay on the calendar or return to the calendar in 2020, only to get wiped out. Uh, but, you know, fingers crossed it works out. I, I would love to say at some point in the 2021 calendar season, we will have tennis with, you know, packed stadiums and everybody comfortable in said stadiums watching live tennis. But I don't want to be the one to try and predict a date on that because we really have no idea.
1: Yeah. So, you know, what's easier than trying to predict the future is, is recapping the past. So uh, this, is our, this is our episode. This is our last one from 2020, episode 43, I believe. And, uh, you know, again, I think it's uh, pretty remarkable that uh, we got in as many as we did. And uh, kudos to other tennis podcasters out there that were also working hard throughout the the pandemic and uh, really the three parts of the season. It felt like three seasons in one, in a sense, because you had that initial block before COVID came on the scene and shut everything down. And it's almost like hard to remember what happened back in January, February, before things closed down in March. But that did happen. That was the starting point. And then we had that big hiatus where, um, you know, we were trying to get creative and come up with new things to talk about and and actually got a lot more guests than we had in in quite some time because all these players were sitting around and had this time to kill and then of course we had the resumption of play in the uh, late summer and the uh, the early fall and uh, and and two grand slams within uh, just a couple of weeks of each other really so um i guess let's go back to the beginning and what were the things from the early part of the year that that are worth uh, reliving here <laughs> yeah i mean
0: in terms of pre-covid uh I think for me, at least the events that would come to mind on the men's side was the ATP Cup, which, uh, you know, country versus country, you think Davis Cup. And it it happened not long after the Davis Cup from 2019. It was a very quick turnover. But for me, it was a very successful event. And I think just set such a high standard of tennis. The matches that we saw, I recall, a great three-setter between Shapovalov and Djokovic um, some battles between uh, Nadal and Dimenauer, who was playing in front of his home crowd in Australia, just, just epic environments. And uh, then Serbia a- ending with the title, and Novak Djokovic kind of taking that event and going on just an absolute roll uh, in the first block of the season. I believe the winning streak hit 22 matches for him when all was said and done after he won Dubai, where he beat uh, Gao there. Uh, but of course, he led in the great play at ATP Cup to a title at the Australian Open. And, um, yeah, just for me, I think men's side, the, the story is the invincibility of Novak Djokovic. He looked like he was on a quest for one of those unstoppable seasons, which we have seen from him in the past.
1: Yeah, he came out of the gates firing between the ATP Cup and those other events you mentioned. And I think if you include ATP Cup, he got to 26-0 before that, uh, that incident at the U.S. Open. And, and who knows if there hadn't been the halt in play, how he would have continued with that. Would he have been able on, on clay to continue that? that dominant start to the year. Um, and, and so certainly when you talk about that first quarter of the season, first third of the season, yeah, it was all Novak. Um, ATP Cup, by the way, I, I still don't know how I feel about that one. I'm not sure what to quite make of it. And I mean, how close was it to the Aussie Open last year? Because this year it's, it's going to be right before the Aussie Open, which I really wonder how many guys are going to want to put themselves through that type of grueling competition where they could be playing singles and doubles so much. Um, you know, right before the first slam of the year. I, I just don't know about the timing of it, really.
0: Yeah, there were definitely structural issues, I think, in terms of when the matches were being played. I recall hearing certain matches, um, like country versus country, finishing up at 3 a.m. and then having a, a quick turnover and playing the next day. Like, that obviously has to be dealt with. Um, and I, I believe there was a full week off after ATP Cup leading into the, into the Australian Open this past season. I'm not sure exactly of the scheduling this year, but some of the players have made the point that it is essentially like a Davis Cup. So I feel like we have to pick one or another. It it feels a bit redundant to have both tournaments, but at least for the sake of ATP Cup in terms of tennis quality this past year was was definitely great. Um, I just want to say on the women's side too, uh, what obviously stands out from the first quarter block was this very unpredictable Australian Open. You know, we always try and, pinpoint our favorites, think who can break through for for their first Grand Slam, who who has a great shot to win it. And I know for a fact, Sophia Kennan was not on the short list really of any pundits, I think, for the Australian Open. Uh, so for her to win her first slam, a bit of a resurgence from Garbina Muguruza, uh, that was kind of the key storyline for me. And I'll just throw in as well, Layla Fernandez making uh, a final in Mexico in Acapulco was such a breakthrough moment for her
1: as well. Yeah, Sophia Kennan. Uh, you know, and how she won that that first slam, taking out, uh, you know, hometown favorite Ash Party in the semifinals uh, before that three-set win over Muguruza, who, um, you know, I think I kind of favored Muguruza in that one just by virtue of experience. And, and then Kennan didn't stop there, obviously, as the season progressed and went on. She also made the finals of Roland Garros. Um, and despite falling to Iga Sfjantek, um, I think, you know, for, for Kennan to start her season and end her season by making two Grand Slam finals uh, was pretty fantastic. And then uh, a, a player that that Kenan beat over the course of the season, of course, was the Canadian, our own Leila Annie Fernandez, who you mentioned. And she's no secret anymore. Someone who I think at the start of 2020, probably not a lot of tennis fans outside of Canada would have really been too familiar with her um, in, in the sense that, that they are now. And same to be said with players on the WTA tour. I mean, She had some uh, pretty substantial wins. Um, She qualified for her first slam at the start of the season. She uh, won her first Grand Slam main draw event as a a professional at the U.S. Open. And then she made it to the third round at the French. So she just kept improving as the season went on. And again, a season with no rhythm, as we mentioned. So that makes it even more impressive. And even some of her losses against Kennan, against Kvitova, against uh, Svitolina, uh, they, they were closer sets you know and they were sets that you wouldn't have expected a 17 now 18 year old to necessarily have playing against top 10 top 15 top 20 players so for Layla Annie who's now ranked uh, I believe 88th in the world um, so much upside so much potential and uh, and I haven't seen any change in terms of that you know focus from her despite the success and the fact she's in the top 100 and she's more well known now she just seems to me to still have that really sharp focus and drive and uh and look out for her i'm really excited for i mean always excited about how our canadians are going to do but Layla annie's right up there to see what she does next in her second year as a professional tennis player
0: yeah, focus, I think, is the word I most often hear associated with Layla Fernandez. Uh, when other experts or, or analysts watch her game and, and watch how she approaches her game, she is just always constantly in a zone looking to improve. And, and we saw that through the course of the year. And I, I think she's another player a bit similar to Vashik Hospital in the type of season that she had but of course this was wasn't a comeback it was almost it, w- it was more of a breakthrough uh and a major stepping stone and we know one of her goals at the front end of the year was getting inside the top 100 and she did it uh despite missing over six months of, of tennis on the calendar year so sensational season for her um I guess that kind of leads us into that hiatus from tennis which I recall exactly when it did happen which was Indian Wells we were getting set for the first of two blocks of major Masters tournaments, Indian Wells, and then Miami, uh, middle of March. And it all kind of happened quickly at one one point between various sports leagues. You had the NBA suddenly canceling uh, with a positive test from one of their players, Rudy Gobert. Then the NHL called its games, and then Indian Wells was suddenly canceled as well. And we had this kind of weird period where players clearly didn't know what to do with their time. We started seeing... Uh, some new faces, some familiar faces pop up on our social media timelines as well. And um, I, I guess it gave us a chance to kind of step back from the live tennis and maybe for a podcast, at least have some more in-depth conversations with guests we we wouldn't normally get the chance to speak with.
1: Yeah, it was funny for you and me. I mean, I can remember those first discussions you and I had about what the heck are we going to do now? And you know where are we going to record the podcast from? And 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 yeah, are we going to get more access to players? Or are we going to get less access depending on how they handle this? And, and just how long is it? I mean, there was just that unknown period, right? Where, where who knew how big it was going to be? And I mean, n- none of us knew it was going to be as big and as, you know, uh, influential on our lives as it's turned out to be. And um, I think from the podcast perspective, certainly it, it allowed us to yeah get many more guests than we had in the past and uh, as you said instead of talking about week-to-week tournaments and what was going on uh, currently it allowed us to explore some more things in depth with players get to know them on a more personal level Um, to me one that pops out right now is our chat with Milos Raonic who uh, you know it was the first time we had had him on the podcast um, and and he really opened up and we got to know him I think on a more personal level and, and just see how intently he was training and and, you know, shortly after we spoke to him, when, when tennis resumed, boom, he came up firing in Cincinnati. And uh, it was really great to see that, you know, all that work that he had put in and, and other players like him, that they were being uh, rewarded for it. So uh, it's also interesting to see how players handled that time off because some became very active on social media. There was that time period where everybody was doing or a lot of people were doing those Instagram stories and chats with each other. And, uh, you know, Venus Williams was very active. Uh, Novak Djokovic, for for better or maybe mostly for worse, was, was <laughs> a little too active yeah um and and took a lot of flack and 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 rightly so on some levels for sure um so it it certainly kept us entertained in in a variety of ways um and there were a few between Milos and, and Felix Osiaaliasimem as well, where it was kind of fun to see that you know relationship between one of our younger and one of our more veteran players now as, as well so uh that was kind of fun you know during a time when you know people were really uncertain about what was happening. It was, it was, you know, important to have those distractions. And even though it wasn't coming from on the court, um, you know, quite a bit of entertainment off of it and, and certainly benefited our podcast and, and other tennis podcasts out there as well, I think
0: yeah and i can I can say without a doubt, we certainly made the the correct decision in, in pushing on with uh, regular weekly podcasts and uh, uh, we appreciate all the listeners for reaffirming that decision kind of week by week. I would get the odd tweet saying, like Oh please like come back with another like what 's next uh, always wanting uh that entertainment because we had so many fans who were who were missing live tennis and they wanted to be inter- informed and entertained whether it 's hearing about a new athlete or or just these in depth interviews that we managed to get so that was uh, certainly memorable in, in terms of the social media conversation that comes to mind for me was uh, the Instagram live between uh, Nadal and Federer where Rafael Nadal could not get Federer into the chat properly he was like clearly didn't know how to u- do an Instagram live and uh, that was kind of a ma- an amazing uh, technological fail It's was um, like
1: watching my parents try and do their first <laughs> you know like
0: yeah exactly uh really enjoyed that uh obviously you know with the break though we we did miss a lot uh we missed Wimbledon I I think is is the biggest portion of the calendar we missed of course you you did miss The bulk of the clay court season, we did, of course, get the the French Open back. Uh, Upon return, we also managed to get the Italian Open, but we missed the bulk of the clay season. And then, to me, the the signature events that we lost, of course, Wimbledon, and then, for Canada, uh, Rogers Cup, of course, having to be postponed here in uh, Toronto and in Montreal.
1: Yeah, the two biggest events that, for me, growing up as a kid, hooked me on tennis were Wimbledon and, obviously, being Canadian, the Rogers Cup. So, to lose both of those were big blows to me just as a, as a tennis lover, first and foremost, missing Wimbledon in the grass court um, season was just um, I mean, they got to make the decisions they had to make. And it was such an uncertain time as well. So you got to applaud them from, you know, being bold and saying, "No, we're just going to skip it this year um, and make the right choice for everyone's, you know, health and safety, but uh, really missed Wimbledon. If there was one slam that I could keep, it would have been that one me, for me personally, and then the Rogers Cup, you know, and to see the impact, the negative impact that missing the Rogers Cup had, you know, not just the fact we couldn't watch it and be there, um, you know, but the fact that so many jobs were affected and lost, um, some short-term, many long-term, unfortunately, um, for, for people that we know who work at Tennis Canada and all the hard-working people behind the scenes. That was a, a, the, really the biggest loss of anything. And, uh, you know, we're really hopeful that, uh, that this year the tournament will be back. And, um, who knows if it'll be in its full format as, as Michael Downey, CEO of Tennis Canada told us when we spoke a few weeks or a couple months ago, uh, they are exploring multiple variations of that tournament, hoping of course, to get as many people in there as possible if things, um, you know, allow, but, uh, in the very least having some sort of event that, uh, that can happen on TV. And, um, but yeah, those were the big ones for me that, that I really missed out on those two, the Wimbledon and, and our own Rogers cup, of course.
0: Yeah, yeah, couldn't agree more. Um of course we did finally manage a return to tennis and uh, the two highlight events when we did finally get back of course the US Open and then we did get uh Roland Garros who kind of arbitrarily back in the spring just kind of did a calendar grab and in the fall and it happened to work out for them. So they managed that situation. I would say of the two events maybe put on a bit more successfully might be the U S open. And that just uh, from reports from players too, in terms of the bubble experience at Flushing Meadows in New York, and they had the lead in event there as well uh, that I think that worked out pretty well. And uh, you know, maybe it took a couple days, but, uh, as much as I missed the New York atmosphere and crowds, hearing them properly, I, I was thrilled at that time to get to get live tennis again and Grand Slam tennis again.
1: Yeah, I would have taken tennis any way I possibly could at that point. And uh, to me, the U.S. Open was so huge, so monumental, um, especially I'm going to say on the on the men's side because on the men's side it was the first real Slam that we've seen, in, my God, how many years where it was dominated not by uh, Djokovic, Nadal, and or Federer, and it really allowed um, you know the next crop of players to have their moment to really shine and to see a, a team and a Zverev final and as wacky a final as it was where it seemed at times like neither player knew how to win it um, <laughs> you know it was Zverev starting out with us taking that that two-set lead and then slowly feeling it slip from his fingertips in an agonizingly you know painful kind of way to watch um, and seeing team get back in there and, and take it from him but Super dramatic, um, super exciting, and, and it was cool to see two different faces in there. Clearly Federer, you know, wasn't involved in the tournament whatsoever due to injury. Nadal chose not to go, and then Djokovic chose to, you know, what happened. Um, so <laughs> it, it, weird circumstances to allow for two other players to have a moment to shine, but I thought they did a great job in terms of, you know, capturing people's imaginations and attention span and, and putting on a show that was, yeah, all kinds of interesting for me, anyways.
0: Yeah, I, I'm not going to uh, say the torch has been passed from the big three over to the next stars, but uh, if you weren't sold by the U.S. Open result of Dominic Team breaking through, winning that first Grand Slam, and we should note uh, that he also made the Australian Open final at the front end of the year, um, I would just point to the end of year ATP Finals where we had semifinal matches between Medvedev and Nadal and Team and Djokovic, and uh, Dominic Team, of course, took out Djokovic in three sets. And Medvedev took out Nadal in three sets. Now, it's not the best of five Grand Slam environment. But, but clearly, uh, this crop of players, the next gen, have completely arrived. And they're a threat, I, I think, to win at any tournament now. Uh, maybe perhaps the one thing we're missing is one of them winning a Grand Slam while the big three is present in the draw. And I think that's a possibility at the Australian Open. Sounds like Roger Federer won't be uh, fit to play yet. Uh, unfortunately. Yeah,
1: his agent, just before Yumi started recording, actually his agent revealed, and it's all over, it was all over Twitter um, uh, just moments ago for us, that uh, Federer's not going to be playing uh, the Aussie Open. So, um, you know, big disappointment for him and his fans. And he'll be turning 40 this year, which is just absolutely crazy to think about. Um, But just, yeah, so disappointing that he's still physically not ready to go uh, for this first slam of the year. and, And one that, you know, four years ago already, but he returned from injury and uh, and captured his first slam there in, in, in about five years' time, four and a half years' time. So I'm sure that would have brought back all sorts of good feelings for him to once again come back from injury in a place like that where he's had so much success. Uh, quite disappointing. And and look, whether you're a Federer fan, like a super fan, or, or, or just a, a fan of tennis, who wouldn't want to see Federer back in action? And I want to see him back in action against Medvedev and Team and Zverev mm-hmm and our Canadian guys as well, because the tour on the men's side seems a whole lot more uh, even and balanced these days. And I'm, I'm looking forward to getting some Grand Slam finals this year between, yeah, a member of the big three and a member or members of the, the up-and-coming uh, next wave and, and getting some great battles between both sides before the, uh, the big three do hang up their rackets eventually.
0: Yeah, I would uh, I would be thrilled to see that as well. Uh certainly the balance in the in the plane is is leveling out a bit and, and now in terms of Canadian players it's it's up to your Dennises and, and Milos of course being a veteran, he has been to a grand slam final, but Dennis and Felix, I think to to take a further step in 2021 because I do believe uh they're certainly talented and skilled enough. We've seen them produce at that top level. Now it's about sustaining it and we see what Medvedev and team do as they garner more and more experience and uh just just for Dan- Daniil medvedev i want to say quickly i mean for him to end the season winning not only uh the atp finals but he also won the paris masters he was having a bit of a shaky year for his standards i think and he really really turned it on at the end and uh, a lot of people were favoring team to win that final but for him to go back to back rally and beat nadal i think a breakdown in the second set and he was a breakdown in the second set to team rallies back and wins in three sets so he should be uh uh, certainly very, very confident, I think, heading to an Australian Open event where he certainly could do damage.
1: Yeah, Medvedev finished so well with the US Open semis as well. And as you mentioned, Paris ATP finals. And uh, I, I just love his his sort of personality too, his quirky personality, and how he can have fun with, with the press. And when fans are back, certainly have fun with the fans too. And it's fun getting to know these guys and see them come out of their shell as they get more comfortable. And I think the, the future of men's tennis is, is just fine. And I think when Djokovic, Federer, not leave, which is clearly going to have such a, a vacuum in the sport and, and it'll take some getting used to, but I'm excited for the next wave of players to have their turn at it. And it's exciting to know that we're going to have at least a couple of Canadians on the med side in there with, with Dennis and Felix. And as you mentioned, striving to get more consistent, you know, both of them at times had great moments. Dennis Shapovalov in particular, um, had great moments at times, but you still look at his overall win loss for the year. It was 17 wins and 15 losses. And that shows that he's still got a ways to go to be playing tournament in and tournament out. Like, you know, the younger next wave guys that we just spoke about, um, who have certainly found a way to do that. So, um, that being said, if you look at Shapo and Felix over their first few years of being pros, big, big steps forward every, every year from them. So, um, you know, why not another big one in, in 2021 where we'd like to see both of them, uh, you know, get entrenched and, and move into that top 10 range for sure.
0: Yeah, no doubt. And, and each of them have, have kind of had building blocks and stepping stones each season. And uh, should note, Felix uh, won an ATP Masters doubles title. So that, that's, that's enormous. Uh, and of course, we saw him in a handful of singles finals uh, again. And Dennis Chapoval of the standout moment to me, is of course quarterfinals of the U.S. Open and nearly making semifinals, losing a tough five-set match to Pablo uh, Carreño-Busta. Uh, WTA side, I, I think the next wave of players certainly has arrived and the name that first comes to mind for me has to be Naomi Osaka and uh, in the return uh, of the hiatus we talked about Sophia Kennan at the front end but uh, for the return she didn't play role on Garros but I think she was just kind of dialed in on winning that US Open from the get-go and it was like she had a plan and, and a strategy each match and she went out and executed we saw some of her highest level tennis the match that stands out to me was Beating American Jennifer Brady in a really high quality three set match. And then, of course, uh, getting the final over a resurgent Victoria Azarenka, which was a really fun final to watch, I I should say. Uh, But so impressive, not just on the court, but like doing it while making bold statements off the court uh, through social media messaging. Of course, that Black Lives Matter movement was at the forefront of the conversation during the U S open tournament. And uh, she had no interest in, in being silent about it.
1: Yeah. Naomi's doing it all on and off the court and uh, both, you know, super impressive to me that, uh, that she's back winning another slam and, and she's doing it in a way and showing so much leadership and, and poise for her age and, and just, yeah, grabbing it, you know, by the reins and, and, and being that leader that my goodness, any sporting league, Uh, whether it be an individual sport or a team sport we just love to have a player like that step up and and be such a a vocal role model and and even when not always having to say it but just wearing the mask and making the statement with that image as she walked on court for every match I thought was absolutely terrific and uh, boy she's going to be fun to watch in terms of what she can accomplish in her tennis career on the court but also just how much change she can impact off the court as well so you know kudos to her and Gosh, it feels almost funny, Ben, talking about the WTA because I feel like we haven't seen a WTA match in, in so long at this point because, unfortunately, their season um, wrapped up early mm-hmm. and and we haven't had a tournament in in a couple of months now. So I'm really looking forward to seeing them back on the court, the women back on the court. And, um, you know, there's many of them that I'm interested to see how they follow up what they did last year from Sofia Kennan to uh, Igus fiantek of course, who so unexpectedly uh, captured Roland Garros um and and then of course our Canadians who um, you know, between Layla Annie and Jeannie, who both had a very, very strong season. I mean, we should talk about Jeannie for a moment yeah. in terms of getting her ranking back up into the top 150 from I think it was 339 at one point, mm-hmm. um, and, and all the hard work that she's put in to uh to make that happen. Um, uh, you know, making the third round of a slam for the first time since the 2017 Aussie Open. Uh, making the finals in, uh, where was it? Uh, Istanbul, Istanbul, I want to say. Yeah, yeah no. just uh, un-
0: unbelievable strides, really. I, I think we uh, we were certainly impressed. I remember just coming away from that conversation with Jeannie when we did have her on in the podcast kind of early summer, and uh, she was working and training hard uh, in Vegas. Uh, she'd spent some time with uh, Andre Agassi's coach as well and uh, getting... Uh, getting an earful from Agassi and Steffi Graf at the time too. And then of course at the new coaching partnership with, with Renee Stubbs and, and teamed up with her former trainer and, and everything seemed to kind of click and uh, her fitness level seemed to have improved. Uh, she looked uh, not, not just faster, but conditioning wise, I, I just felt like I was more and more impressed uh, by her on the court. And then, and then self-belief obviously goes such a long way. And uh, in that return, um, you know, before that Istanbul Open final, she had made quarterfinals in Prague. Uh, just kind of easing up the ranking slowly. And I I have to admit, like, I was pretty worried for her career, I think, if we went back to last year. And you look at where her ranking was. As you said, I think around 339, she had a stretch where – we, we had to talk about it. She had lost 13 matches in a row. I, I think it was a fair question to ask, like, is this the end of the road for Jeannie Bouchard and her tennis career? So- and, I, and
1: I think some players would have probably considered, and who knows if she did or not, but yeah. I think some players would have considered saying, okay, you know what? This is it, you know, because that, that losing streak that you mentioned as it was happening was, was so painful to watch. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she had some matches that were close, but you could tell she just didn't have that confidence and belief in herself in those late stages of a match, to be able to either close it out or to, you know, reverse things or try something different to, to get back on track, and so um, yeah, that to me was was certainly one of the top surprises, pleasant surprises, of 2020, and one that was well deserved. You know, considering that we have spoken to her a few times, and we know how much it meant to her and how much she wanted to get back, and how much that she she claimed to believe it, but it's one thing to say it and then it's another to go out and then you know make that happen. So. You know, good for her. And she gives just another little bit of depth to the Canadian women's field with Leila Annie and Bianca obviously above her, but she gives Canada another, you know, pretty solid singles option in terms of, you know, Billie Jean cup play, for example, Mm -hmm. international play. And um, you know, before we we, we wrap up, we certainly have to talk about a player that we're both super pumped to see back in action this year. Her last match was remarkably October thirtieth, two thousand nineteen, that being Bianca Andrescu and uh, for, for all intents and purposes, everything we've seen and heard from her coach Sylvain Bruno, her trainer Virginie Tremblay, who spoke with us a month ago, and from the videos on Instagram of her training in Dubai, it looks like this top ten talents ready, ready to go.
0: Yeah, I think she's uh, chomping at the bit to, to play again. I, I think she's so eager to get back out there. And, uh, yeah, as Virginie Tremblay and Sylvain Bruneau just, just illustrated in our, in our last episode so well, like, she is such a fiery competitor, and I think she's so keen to get back on the court. I think this is this is her passion, competing. Uh, she has that competitive drive and spirit uh, and just wants to to get back on court playing these matches. Um, of course with, uh, Sylvain they've been doing training in terms of probably practice sets, getting her ready. Uh, we won't see her. I I don't think until maybe February, maybe one tournament just in front of the Australian Open. We don't have a confirmed schedule for her, but I'm very confident she's going to be playing the first grand slam of the season. And you know, if the tennis level is anything like we saw in 2019 and I have no reason to believe otherwise, uh, She's certainly a contender for me everywhere she plays. And you just reminded me the fact that she hasn't played a match since October 30th, 2019. I, well, I think it's a reminder of the fact that we, we're just wrapping up like the longest year of our lives, really. It uh, feels like an eternity. Uh, but then at the same time, some of those memories are, are still very, very ingrained. The U.S. Open title, the winner at Rogers Cup. Uh, that moment at Indian Wells, uh, winning that title and getting that coaching advice on the sidelines from Sylvain Bruneau, they all stand out to me still. Um, but at the same time, I, I see her now on social media and, you know, she tries to share a bit of her personality here and there. She can only give us so much, but I already feel like she is a bit of a different person since we saw her in 2019. Uh, and, and she looks more her age and, and is growing and matured. And I, I think we're going to get to see it on the tennis court again.
1: And I, and I think there's two things that bode well for her return in terms of playing at that top 10, top 20 level. And it's, uh, well, first of all, that she's come back from long layoffs. Not this long, but she has come back from long layoffs before and done remarkably well. And, and second of all, there hasn't been a whole lot of tennis on the women's game in recent months. So for a lot of players, they're, they're feeling like they're getting back into the swing of things. So yeah. I think it's, it's the, you know, the perfect time for her to come back uh, at, the, at the start of the season. And, uh, you know, crazy to think it's going to have been about 15 months, probably by the time she steps foot on that court again. Um, but uh, that's the moment that I'm most looking forward to. And I would say probably most Canadian tennis fans would say the same thing is we are more than ready to see Bianca back on the court uh, to see what she can do and, and get behind her and, and and rally behind her again and give her that support that uh, that was so instrumental at the Rogers Cup when she won it and uh, and as well in her... her uh, you know u.s open victory which again we're going to be talking about that one for the rest of our lives because of how much it meant to us and how much it meant to canada at the time
0: yeah yeah no doubt um just as we lead into 2021 and start to wrap up the episode uh on the wta side i will mention the first event on the calendar is in abu dhabi sophia cannon will be there alina Spidalina is there garbini Muguruza, carolina pliskova a couple others uh out of the sort of top crop of players, uh, will be playing there. So that's a quality field. And, and Milos Raonic will also be headlining the field at the Delray Beach Open, which Vashuk told us he's playing. And Andy Murray has also taken a wild card to that event. So I think that'll be a pretty quality draw for the 250 event there. And I just wanted to note, we're so used to hearing Premier Mandatory, Premier, Premier Five, as the tournament names on the w- WTA side. That is changing for 2021. Uh, so we will have some uniform uniformity between the tours that we will have WTA 250s, 500s, and 1000s as well. They will now go by that name in 2021. Probably something that should have been done a long time ago, in my opinion. But uh, better late than never, I suppose.
1: Thank God I can finally understand what the heck is going on. Because I never, I, I'd always flub that when we talk about the tournament levels and get them wrong and never fully remember or understand. Yeah. And, and if I was struggling with it that much, not that, you know, I'm that intelligent with my, you know, <laughs> tennis knowledge. But I can just imagine how regular people or people who were wanting to, you know, become tennis fans and, and follow the sport must have felt. So thank God that one's over. I don't know why it lasted as long as it did. And I can only imagine that you know, whoever designed the WTA website there that was super confusing for quite some years was probably the same person that you know came up with that level of tournament designations, which also infuriated some people and confused people. So uh, this is good, and I think this is maybe just another step in the direction of perhaps both WTA and ATP at some point streamlining, joining forces, uh, combining uh, two great products into one. And uh, who knows if there'll be more discussion on that this year or not. That was one of those things that... Did get sort of toyed with and, and talked about at various levels um, of of players and and participants last year. Um, I for one think it would be great. Um, I love both sides of the the game, and I think they both you know should should have as much exposure as possible. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things that could get resolved this year, and and that could be one of them. Let's uh, let's see. Yeah,
0: let's uh, let's see. As we wrap up, question for you, Mike, um, which I, I know you wanted to go over. What was your favorite? podcast episode of the year that we did here at matchpoint canada
1: yeah well i gotta say i mean it's tough to pick because we we had a real strong season you know like uh i uh i I felt like it was a big step forward for us in terms of just the it just felt like every week we were getting another really big name or, or or person to to shed some great insight on the sport and so it was tough to pick but for me i'd have to say jimmy connors because it was one that i was working on for a while to make happen and you know until it happens you never know if it really is or not so even though there had been a lot of good signs from him and and i was speaking with his son and 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 they were making it sound like we were going to get them until i actually had him until we had him in that zoom chat uh you know i didn't want to fully believe it yet and and so to get someone that i grew up watching you know towards the tail end of his career and, and my first memories of watching tennis that was really special and uh and a guy that was just so controversial when he played you know and such a jackass at times who's who's now such a you know an easygoing guy to speak with and and uh, you know really we had a great chat with him so for me it was you know when you meet someone that you look up to as a kid and they turn out to be a, a a jerk I mean that's one of the most disappointing things that someone can have and this was the exact opposite which is such a great guy and so good to us in that episode and and really revealing so um to me that was number one without a doubt was having Jimmy Connors on.
0: Yeah, he was a, he was an absolute treat uh, for me. My number one, and I I happen to interview him personally. I didn't really get the chance to grow up and watch him play, so to speak. But to me, he's uh, you know maybe the the penultimate coach in the game, and that was uh, our episode getting the chance to interview Brad Gilbert, I thought was just, just absolutely fantastic. Such great insights into the game uh, on every given player. And, and still to me, one of the best analy- uh, analysts that we have in tennis. And uh, I, I quite frankly, can't wait to hear, hear him courtside again at the Australian open. I, I hope we get that pleasure because uh, he was an absolute treat. So that was a great contact to, to have for the season. And I'd love that opportunity
1: again. Yeah, I hope those guys give us another chance. Hey, eh? we'll have to <laughs> we we'll have to go back and uh, and try that that again with with Jimmy and and with Brad for sure.
0: Yeah. Uh but I, I suppose that is a wrap for uh 2020. Uh we want to of course thank all of our loyal listeners, all of our new listeners who tuned in. We had some honestly great numbers throughout the year. Uh so we're so thankful to everyone who who joined in whether you're he- hearing us and connecting with us just via uh, social media. If you've heard about us through Tennis Canada or the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, uh, we're grateful for, for every like, every retweet, every download, every listen. And a major thank you to all of our guests for 2021. I added them up. 48 unique names. So 48 guests for the 2020 season.
1: Not bad at all. Yeah, thanks for listening, guys. Thanks for tuning in. We're looking forward to bringing a lot more great content to you this year. And uh, also a shout out and thanks, of course, to uh, Tennis Canada um, you know, for all the support that they've given us and uh, continued partnership and, uh, you know, all our best to them this year as well as they try and uh, continue to get uh, get back on track with things and uh, and looking forward to, uh, you know, obviously uh, the best part would be having a great Rogers Cup come August here in Toronto and a Coop Rogers in, in Montreal as well for them, uh, for us, for the players and, and Canadian tennis fans too.
0: Yeah, uh, so to, to everyone, happy holidays. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Yeah, you've been listening to Match Point Canada. We will talk to you next time in the new year.